0: The word then will now speak to us from Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five, we'll read verse 11 through to chapter six, verse two. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, through to chapter 6, verse 2. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in a right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. (coughs) So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting man's sin against them. And he has committed committed to us the message of reconciliation. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. May the Lord... Give us an understanding of his word. The theme for this sermon from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is reconciled to God with the subtitle God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. My dear brothers and sisters, in a few weeks, we will once again come together to celebrate the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection on that Sunday of glory, now called the day of our Lord. Everyone else will also have a long weekend to Christians, these coming weeks are precious as we prepare to celebrate the salvation of the Lamb of God, the line of Judah who was slain but lives into all eternity. Non-believers might hear the message of Passover and the resurrection, but to them it might not really make sense unless it is so that God has made an appointment with them through his Holy Spirit, to when they hear the gospel, they would understand. But there are others there, maybe like Professor Dawkins, who would ask the question, why would Christians be so crazy as to believe that someone who died on a day called Good Friday Why would people believe in someone who, as they confess, rose again on the third day? And after all then, what does it mean? What effect should such a belief and faith have on them? Why would some go into the mission fields and then proclaim this message about Jesus Christ who died on Good Friday, who rose on the Lord's Day, why would they do things like this? Why would people even be willing to die for this message of Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, let us look about life before faith. There was a time in the life of the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote this letter we just read, that he would ask the same questions. To him the whole business was foolishness. He calls it that way. He says the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is to the world foolishness. He then studied the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. And he studied it very carefully. He had a very skillful teacher in the person of Gamaliel, one of the most notorious Jewish scholars in his day, the present president of the Jewish council. Paul knew everything about the new Te- the Old Testament law and the sacrificial system. He knew the verses we read this morning from Leviticus chapter 17 where it says for the life of the creatures and the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Paul was involved in the sacrifice and many times he saw the lamb or the ox killed as an atonement for sin because every Jew had to Jewish male at least, had to go to that major festival called the Day of Atonement. He saw the disciples of Christ then, just ordinary men who left everything behind to follow Jesus. He saw them face the Jewish council, and he saw them flogged and jailed and tortured. And to him, that didn't make any sense. To him, that was to jeopardize the true faith. He was there and even approved of the murderous act when the people stoned to death Stephen, who became the first martyr for Jesus Christ. But what he didn't see because of his spiritual blindness was how the blood of the animals and the blood of Jesus Christ connected. He couldn't see the significance of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, and how that would fulfill that act of atonement of the Old Testament, when the animal was put on the altar. He looked at what he saw, and he took note of what he heard from a worldly point of view. That's what he means by saying in this verse, verse 16 then, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He looked at, the person of Christ, and he looked at the disciples of Christ from a completely different angle, and it didn't make sense to him. He once regarded Christ Jesus from a worldly point of view. To him, Jesus was just another man, just someone who grew up in Nazareth. Maybe to him Jesus was a bit off the rails with, with, with good ideas but someone lost contact, someone who lost contact with reality. It would be in the eyes of, of the world the most foolish thing to have yourself nailed to a cross and then say, I do this for other people. And then not even know these people. There are many people thinking exactly the same today. Why would you believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why would you go to church? Why would you celebrate Passover as a Christian? Why would you give your life to Jesus Christ to serve him with all your might and your soul and your heart and your mind If these questions are in the minds of people, they are people who still do not believe. That is life before faith. But then faith changes everything. And everything is new by faith. You see, something radical happened to the very same apostle, Paul. He was on a mission to have Christians put in jail for this senseless, foolish, stupid faith. When suddenly he had an encounter that changed his life. (laughs) He found himself on the ground, and there he had the voice of God in his ears. He was struck blind. And all of a sudden, he then became the prisoner. And there on the road to Damascus, he met the Savior. And his life changed. And he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And not just any ordinary follower. What happened with Paul was what he refers to as becoming a new creation in Christ. You see, that is the difference. That is where his mind started to work quite the opposite way. What happened with Paul was that he refers, he refers to as becoming new. Therefore, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. How did this happen in the life of Paul? And how does it still happen in the life of everyone who comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ even today? How does it happen? He spells it out in verse 18. All is from... From what? God. All is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. It is not something that he worked for. As a matter of fact, he said, I've, I've done a lot of good things in my life. He said, I, I've got all this righteousness. If you think of someone as good, well, look at me. You know, I, I'm a Jew of the Jews, and, and he lists the whole thing there in, 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 in Philippians. He said, but that didn't count a lot. As a matter of fact, it counted as nothing. Why? God made a change. In my heart. That makes a difference. There's this old hymn. You remember the old theme? What a change. I forgot the words again. What a change. Upon. What a wonderful change. It is from God. When we preach the gospel, it is God's gospel. And God's Holy Spirit uses the weakness of our argument to soften the heart of the unbeliever and God would draw the unbeliever to himself. God would plant the seed of the new life in an unbeliever. It is just amazing when you listen to how people came to the Lord. When they just read a Bible verse and it made all the difference. Paul states it like this in Romans chapter 10 verse 17. Consequently, faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So what is this message we proclaim? We need to go back to our text. 2 Corinthians chapter five, nineteen. This is the message. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting man's sin against them. And now we understand the meaning of Leviticus chapter 17. The life of the creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Atonement in this verse is the same as reconciliation in the mouth of Paul. Through the blood of the sacrificial animal, there was atonement or reconciliation. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, Paul could now make this connection. As the animals were sacrificed in the Old Testament to bring atonement, so the sacrifice of the New Testament brought reconciliation. What is that sacrifice? It is Christ Jesus. And now... It is he, and through him, that God is not counting man's sin against him. That is reconciliation. Although we have sinned, although we deserve eternal punishment, we hear this message of reconciliation. And the question, of course, now is... Did God just take a pen and crossed out the sin of mankind, turning a blind eye to their sin? And the, and the answer is very clear, no. That is not reconciliation. God does not reconcile us to himself, looking at me and he says, Well, um, okay, let's, let's just say, pretend you haven't done anything wrong. Or forget about that. That's not reconciliation. What is reconciliation in the Bible? God did not pretend there was no sin, God dealt with sin by having His Son taking the sin upon Him. That's the difference. God's holiness and righteousness called for a sacrifice. Never will God turn a blind eye to the sin. He is holy, He is just, and He is righteous. It would scream against everything the person of God is and stands for. If we are reconciled to God, how did it happen? If our sins are not counted against us anymore, how did it happen? It takes us back to the Old Testament. It was in the blood or the life of the animal that got killed. When the blood flowed and life was given, God forgave the sins and the rebellion of the people. And now we have to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to understand that God made him. Who's that? Christ Jesus, who had no sin. He was the perfect lamb without blemish. He had no sin. God made him sin for us. What happened then? In him, we have become the righteousness of God. And this is the heart of the gospel. On that cross of Calvary, the Son of God, the Lamb of the, of the real Passover, was nailed to die. Why? Why? Because without blood and life, there is no reconciliation. We could not make that atonement because we are sinful. We are not the the, the lamb without blemish. Only one could make that atonement, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was sinless. He was the only one who could satisfy God's holiness. But God had to put the sins of the world upon him and make him sin so that we in him and under him can meet the righteousness of God. So what is the result then of a life in faith? What is the result of a new life? When all of this dawned on the apostle and when by faith he understood it, he looked at Christ Jesus with different eyes. It made such an impact on him and on his life when he understood the full meaning of this message that his life was turned upside down. He was on his way to Damascus to in the name of the Jewish council, as their ambassador, put into prison those who called themselves Christians. What happened now? He became an ambassador for Christ. Quite the opposite. He was on his way to put in prison the people of the way. And he found himself on his way to Damascus on the way. And he became an ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? He speaks on behalf of the one who sent him. And now he is the ambassador and he speaks on behalf of Christ. He said, We are making, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. (coughs) We then applaud you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He looked through the eyes of his master and savior to the world and declares, for Christ's love compel us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And after he died for all and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and was raised again. So he gave his life away for the sake of the gospel. He became an ambassador for Christ. Now he faced death. Peril on sea, hunger, flogging, jail, persecution. Every day of his life. Why, Paul? I understand that Jesus died for me. That's why. It had in a profound way in we he looked at a sea of lost sinners in Rome, Thessalonica, Philippi, Corinth, Galatia, and other places. And he said, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's what Paul then says. He said, I look at these people, everyone I see. I look at the world around me, everyone that I come in contact with. I, I look at them not from a worldly point of view. I look at them from... From the point of view that Christ died for them. You see, you see that makes a difference. Looking at a sinner now uh, is to look at the people the way Christ Jesus would look at them people who needed redemption and people who had to be saved lest they'd go to hell forever. So he says, I am glorious. Almost as if he's, this is a very strong word. I implore you. It's almost almost as if he said, "I'm on my knees before you for the sake of Christ, because I'm his ambassador, and I plead with you be reconciled to God." How do you? How do you understand this? You understand it by saying. God is sending us, and God is giving us the message, and God is the one who does his work through us, and God is the one who actually talks through him and those he send. And some people thought that Paul lost his mind. And, he, and yeah, you understand that. It's, it's no problem when, when you understand these things. Some today still think Christians lost their minds. Christians are a bit sort of off the planet. and Yeah, well, we are off the planet, isn't it? It's a good thing we're off the planet because our citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, he writes, if we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. But Whatever the case may be, how you look at us, we are standing before you and we've got one message. What's that message? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we become the righteousness of God. Please, he says. Be reconciled. Accept by faith this message of reconciliation in Christ. When? When? When shall I do this? Next year? Maybe maybe just hang on there for a while and go my own way? I mean, the apostle thought that was a good idea, isn't it? He had all these other things to do, but No. Once again, the, the Apostle has an answer. As fellow worker of Christ, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So when, when should we answer this message? When should we answer this call to say be reconciled to God? Now, yeah. yeah. Today this message is still preached. Today as God's ambassador I implore you. If you have not done so yet. Do not receive God's grace in vain. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Be reconciled to God. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the good message of reconciliation in Christ. We thank you for the good news that we who were once your enemy may now be called your friends. It is all from God, and we thank you, Father. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his righteousness. And we thank you for the call. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this moment. And it is our prayer that each one listening to this message Each one here today will not delay or postpone or look for another day, but today will be the beginning of a new life. In Jesus' name, Amen.